for. We are glad that those who have joined us online can be with us. Hopefully we didn't lose everybody, but they're back. And hopefully uh, you being here this morning will be a blessing as you can learn. Um, just real quickly, I didn't say anything in the first service, but the second service last week we did get full. We had chairs set up along the back. I really appreciate it whenever you use your eyes to see that people, uh, maybe if they're new and they, they're, they're, you don't know who they are, uh, we want to host people. And so uh, with the chairs being set up the way they are, sometimes we got to pull a chair in or move a chair and just everybody's job. That's what I want to say today. Remind us it's everybody's job to host and make sure people have a place to sit. More people did come to the first, but we spread out a little bit, so we're in good shape this week. But I want to say this as a pastor. I'm going to be very careful with this so you don't get the wrong message this morning, but... Uh, there's a lot of churches in our area that are, are just having a hard time right now. Uh, we, we know Pastor Wally is, is resigning at Hadley and will be moving on. Um, talked to uh, my friend Cliff uh, from Hillside and their church has had some uh, drama in the past weeks. And uh, Matt Johnson, who is New Hope's pastor, resigned last Thursday. Uh, all the churches around us just seem to be going through a difficult time now. I want to say this. Uh, we have people that are coming to visit Oakwood, to see Oakwood, and we want to let you know that we, we want you here to be able to rest. We want to be a place of solace for you, uh, but we support all the churches. We want every church in our area to be successful. We're not praying for the demise of any church. Oakwood does not wish to grow uh, by other churches' demise. We hope to grow by people being saved and brought to the church, but we also have a ministry to you. If you've gone through a difficult situation and you're just here, maybe you just want to hide here for a few weeks, you're welcome and we want you here we hope to embrace you we hope to be a friend to you uh, but we hope uh, that if there's something that can be made right that it would be made right uh, we're going to pray for that for all of you I hope you get what I'm saying I'm not saying it's wrong for anybody to be here we're, we welcome you with open arms and we and if this becomes your church we trust God with that decision uh, we trust that'll be a thing that makes peace in your heart before you make that change. Uh, but Oakwood exists uh, to present the gospel of Jesus Christ so that people might be saved. The disciples making disciples making disciples. And so we'll trust God to work those things out in your families. Uh, but pray with us uh, for the churches because we need the gospel to be out there everywhere. And we want all churches to be successful, not struggling. That's our heart. Well, I say that there's something else we got to talk about today, and it's that picture. I got a great text this week. You know, you get text, and the text just had a, a phone number. I didn't quite know who it was at first. You know how you get a text, you don't know who it is. You got to go back and scroll and see, did I talk to this person before? Who is this person? Well, all I saw was text first, words, and it said, I'm weeping because of my church. And I thought, oh, great, what did we do? I didn't, did we, did we make somebody else mad this week? I'm, what did we do wrong? And then all of a sudden this picture popped up and I knew exactly who it was and I began to weep with joy. This was at Megan Merritt's door this early this week. It must have been Tuesday, I think it was. Um, and she just sent me this picture saying she was weeping because of her church. I sent out the thing on Friday. I don't know how, guys, you guys are so quick. Uh, we, we had our, uh, Megan fill out a registry for things she needed. She's a new foster parent, approved and official this week. She's a foster mom. We're excited about that. And, uh, and Megan needs things to be ready for a child to enter into her home. And we think that is so cool. So I, I sent out the registry on Friday. And by Tuesday, you guys, can you imagine the delivery guy going, what is going on at this house? Not only that, I was so excited when I saw the picture that the church was the church. And then she added to it. And my neighbor popped out and said, what in the world's going on? 
And she said, and then I got to tell her about my church family and that they know Jesus. I said, double whammy, whoa, this is great. I was in tears of joy that not only did we meet a need, but the gospel was kind of presented in a way that Jesus is real. And Jesus people, kingdom people, rise to the cause. You saw a need, you met a need. So I, I ask you to continue on in that good thing. That was just one day. And if, if you had things delivered to your house, bring them to the church. We'll make sure Megan gets them. Uh, but if you click on the register, you can also just have it sent right to her door and she can keep on bugging her neighbors. All right? We love that. I say that because the next thing I need to say is that it kind of segues into that. We're thankful that Megan was put on her heart to stand in the gap for a child. Today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Once a year, there's a Sunday set apart for a sanctity of human life. And most churches will be doing that today. Some will be doing it next week, because next week's actually closer to the date that the proclamation was made. But I just want to let you know that when we think about the tragedy of abortion, and I, I say that carefully, we don't want to condemn anybody. Maybe you've had a past where that was a reality of your past. We're not doing this to condemn you in any way. I'm, I'm using this as a moment to remind our church that we believe life is precious, Psalm 139 is my favorite passage in all the Bible. And in that passage, the psalmist says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You knit me together. Everybody say me. You knit me together in my mother's womb. So in my mother's womb, you knit me. The Bible doesn't say you knit together a gelatinous blob of materials until such a time that it came out and then it became a life. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible declares that we are knit together in our mother's womb. We believe that... uh, uh, birth or reality begins a life begins at conception when i say all that i want to say i understand the nuances about abortion and immediately people want to go to the argument that was wonderfully set up skillfully set up about uh, the rights of the woman and and i'm not going to get into all that today i'm not going to get into the arguments about the one percent that have a medical need there's many nuances that can be talked about What I'm talking about this morning is just we stand, Oakwood stands strong and firm that a life is in the womb. The world can get so confused about that that we would say life doesn't exist until it's out of the womb and yet we will convict a drunk driver who kills a pregnant woman for two murders and it makes no sense that we're we're totally messed up in our society about what is life. So what I'm talking about this morning and want us to agree on and at least come to acknowledge of is, is that life is in the womb. And the majority of abortions that take place take place out of convenience. We're taking a life because it was an unexpected president. We're taking a life because it wasn't the gender of a child. We're taking a life because it isn't going to be exactly what I thought it would be. And so we're doing it out of convenience. And I want to say as a church, when we stood in the gap with Megan Merritt and said, "Uh, we're going to help you because you're going to foster a child. You're standing in the gap for a child. Let's continue to be the church. Amen. Let's continue to stand in the gap for those who have a need. Can I tell you, there are people out there right now that are living in extreme fear. There's a young girl that's scared to death that everybody around her is telling her, get rid of that child. But we, the church, we need to be on a seek mission. And we need to go and search out those people that need encouragement. And we need to come and stand in the gap. Let's do that. I know we all think we want to make uh, laws. But you know what? This world is a lost world when it comes to morality. And I don't think we're ever going to convince the world to live up to our moral standard. But we can stand in the gap. And we can be there to make a difference in a life. And in that way, we can change the world. So this day of sanctity of life, we're thankful that we've got a Megan Merritt. Maybe the Lord will convince some of you uh, to do the same. Maybe adopt. Maybe stand there as a foster parent. 
with uh, Megan's case, I need to bring up something real quick. She has one last hurdle to cross before we can get a child in her home. And she needs to indicate a caregiver to come alongside her. She's a single mom. And uh, so she's gonna, she's be, she'll be working. And so I asked her to give me some bullet points. Megan needs somebody during the week uh, to care when school has breaks or if school goes back to virtual, uh, possibly uh, school care. Summer care when school is out, sick from school, possible pickup from school. Someone I could depend on pretty regularly. And they'd have to complete some paperwork for DHHS to, sub, sub, to be a substitute caregiver. She's looking for that person or two. Maybe God would lay it on your heart to stand in the gap with Megan and say, I'll be your substitute. I'll be there when you need somebody. I have freedom uh, that I can come and, and do that. Think about that and pray about that. If you don't know how to get a hold of Megan, you can call the church and we'll put you in touch with Megan. But that's a need that we as a church can help her fill and then we can get a child in that home and that'll be so exciting. Thank you for letting me rant. Let's pray. Would you pray with me? Could you say this prayer? God, if there's... Well, I know there's something you want me to hear, so I'm willing to listen. Can you give that prayer to God? God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. And God, I pray that you would be glorified. I pray that everyone hearing this message would be edified. And I pray that Satan would be horrified in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, get your Bibles ready. If you don't have a Bible, get your gadget out. And let's get your gadgets to the book of Acts. If you need a Bible, there might be one in the seat basket underneath the seat in front of you or around you. You can look for that. We're wrapping up this Gospel Project series. We're getting really close, and we've been talking about Paul. Last week, we talked about Paul. Uh, was, uh, there was a plot, a plot to kill Paul. There was a plot to take Paul down. We're going to continue on with Paul for a couple of weeks still yet. Um, last week, just for catching people up, maybe they weren't here, Paul had been a torturer of people of the way. People that were Christians first were called people of the way. Mandalorian has nothing on us, we were the first. This is the way. Jesus' followers were originally called the way. Paul persecuted people. He was a zealot Jew. He was a Pharisee of all Pharisees. And his mission was to, to get rid of these people of the way. These people that thought that Jesus was this Messiah. See, the Jewish people were looking for a Messiah. And to this day, sadly, they're looking for a Messiah still yet to come. They don't recognize Jesus as that Messiah. And so Paul, being a zealot, uh, being a, a Pharisee above Pharisees, he tormented people of the way. And he was so far into that, he, caught, he cast votes for people to be put to death. He even held coats for people as they threw rocks and killed people that believed in Jesus. But then he had a miraculous salvation story. God met him on the road to Damascus. Literally the first time that the beam of light from heaven came down. Stopped him in his tracks. Paul saw the light and he came to belief in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And he, his whole life changed. He was a new person. Uh, the Bible calls him Saul earlier. We know he's Paul. There's a change there. And now he is of the way. Well, that drives the Jewish people crazy. Last week, we talked about the two groups of Jewish people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they both, even though they didn't like each other, they both didn't like Paul even more. And so they agreed to kill Paul. It's amazing what will bond enemies together. And Paul was the bonding agent. They all got together and decided, let's kill Paul. So you have these two religious groups plotting murder, of all things, and then Rome steps in. And Paul is rescued 
from Rome because Rome doesn't want chaos. And so Rome stepped in and rescued Paul. And remember last week we left a story that 200 soldiers and a bunch of horses have Paul. And Paul's leaving town looking at the people who are trying to kill him going, no, 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 boo, boo. Remember that? And he leaves town. They can't kill him. He's taken to Caesarea. 60 or so miles to the shore. And there he's put in a palace under guard. But now he can have his friends come and give him food, tend to any moons. Jail was different back then. They didn't supply you food and things. You had to count on people to do that. And so now he's in Caesarea. He's in the palace, but he's under guard. But he can have friends and visitors and food and nourishment and medical care, all those good things. That's where we left Paul last week. This week, the big idea, even when things are unfair... My calling is clear. Communicate Christ with clarity, courage, conviction, and class. That's our call, friends. Even when things are unfair, our calling is clear. Communicate Christ with clarity, courage, conviction, and class. Anybody ever have anything unfair happen to them? Anybody ever have something happen to you? You just thought, that's not right. That's unfair. We live in a world that's just unfair. We live in a world where truth is no longer truth. Truth is trampled in the streets, and it's unfair. I want to let you know, yes, that's where you live. You need to understand that. I don't think there's ever going to be a time when we're going to say, governments are fair. (laughs) Governments are just and right. We've crossed that line a long time ago. Even when it's unfair, we need to remember our calling. Calling is to communicate Christ not make an argument, not try to convince people to think my way. Our calling is to communicate Christ with clarity, courage, conviction, and class. And so we're going to walk through these sections, Acts 24 through 26. I'll just read sections. If you're with me in Acts 24, we're going to start in verse 22. Paul here is in front of Felix. We call him Felix the corrupt. You'll find out why. Then Felix who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias, the commander, comes, he said, I'll decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Jesus Christ. Stop there for a second. Do you see what Paul did? When he had a moment, Felix brings his wife, Drizzle, or whatever her name is, Drizzle. Uh, He brings his wife, and the Bible says she was Jewish. Isn't that interesting? So she would have grown up hearing about a Messiah. She would have grown up hearing about the law and the prophets. And I'm sure they're having discussions at home as Drusilla is hearing Felix talk about this guy he's got in the room in the back, and, and he's under arrest, and he's causing a problem with the other Jews, and she's like, huh, Well, they're interested. They want to hear. So they bring for Paul. And when Paul gets the chance, what does Paul do? Does he give a three-point logical outline? Well, this is unfair and unright, and you need to change your mind and do what's good. Did he convince them of morality? No, the Bible says the first chance Paul got, he told them about Christ. Paul's calling was clear. He was going to talk to them about the gospel. That was the first thing on his mind. We... But this is Paul before the rulers. We as kingdom people must communicate Christ. Number one, we must claim the truth. That's what Paul did. Paul just went back to the truth. Felix was not a good guy. We call him Felix the corrupt. You'll see here in just a moment, he's not 
thinking about things for truth and honesty. He's in it for himself. Sound familiar? Unjust, unfair. And so clarity is the word here. Clarity. When given an opportunity, Paul talked about faith in Christ. Verse 25, as Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come, Felix was afraid. And he said, that's enough for now. You may leave. I want you to stop. You need to know that if you're going to talk about Christ with people, it might scare them. And they might send you away. I love that Paul might not have known what Felix's problem was, but the Bible lets us know Felix had a problem. When he heard about faith in Christ, it rocked his world. And he said, get out of here. I'll send for you when I'm ready for you. But the real reason was he was afraid. Friends, look at me in eyeballs. You need to know our mission is to communicate Christ. But when you do that, that is going to freak people out. Felix was sitting on the throne. He was a big dude. He had a big job. And he didn't like the fact that Paul started talking about, listen, there is a God. And you'll stand before him someday. But he sent his son, Jesus. He was the Messiah, the promised one. He lived a sinless life and he died for your sins. Felix had to come to terms with, there's more to this world. There's more to this life. I'm going to be held accountable, and that's a scary thing. You just need to know that every time you witness to somebody, it's not going to go exactly like you think it might, or hope it might, or pray it might. More than likely, you're going to be sent away because it's too much. Be patient. Just give that message with clarity. Everybody say clarity. That is what Paul was called to do, not to fix the unjustness and the unfairness. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 12, if a ruler pays attention to lies, all of his servants become wicked. In Proverbs 29, 2, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked men rules, people groan. Are you groaning lately about wicked people? We groan when wicked people are in rule. But you know what? Our goal is not to fix them. The only thing that will fix them is a new life in Christ. Our mission ought to be to share the gospel. This world is unfair. I was thinking about this and I remembered years ago. I tell these stories to help train our young youth pastor. Years ago, I was no more than 25 or 26 years old. And I wanted to take teens on a missions trip. So I met with the parents and I told them, we're going to go to Sao Paulo, Brazil. I don't know what those parents were thinking. I'm 25 years old, and I took 28 teenagers to Sao Paulo, Brazil. We met with them, and, and I, I looked ahead, and so in order to go to Brazil, you, had to, you have to have a visa. you got to get approved from the country to enter the country. So I went and found out what I needed, and there was a form. And so at the bottom of the form, it said parent, and a parent had to sign it. So we gathered all the parents, talked about the trip, and I said, I'm heading to Chicago where the consulate is for Brazil. So fill out these forms, and they filled it. One of the parents signed it, and I went off to Chicago. You drive downtown Chicago, and right at the Wrigley Building, across the street, right by the river, is a big building, and on the 14th floor is the Brazilian consulate. And you go up to the consulate, and this is way back in the day. Here I am, 25 years old, and I've got a briefcase. Remember those? Leather briefcase? And I was all ready. I walked to the counter, put my briefcase down, opened it up. I said, we're taking these kids to Brazil. And I pushed these forms at it, and this guy looked at the forms, and he goes, I want both parents to sign. I'm like, oh, okay. 
All right, so I closed my briefcase, got in the car, drove three and a half hours back to Battle Creek and called the parents and said, parents, we need both parents to sign. Yeah, that makes sense. And so we had a meeting, got the thing signed, and then through three and a half hours, we drove back to Chicago, went up to the 14th floor, went to the council, the same guy was there the next day. And I walked up with my briefcase open, I was like, there you go, I got both parents to sign. He looked at it for a while and he goes, I want you to have color copies of their driver's licenses. I'm like, oh. You didn't tell me that. You didn't tell me I had to have. And I didn't know. I was young and naive, but I didn't realize. Now I know foreign consulates make it as hard for us to go into their country as America's making it hard on their citizens to get in our country. It's a game they play. And so he's playing a game with me. I've already driven three and a half hours to Chicago, three and a half hours back, got signed three and a half hours back to Chicago, standing before this guy, and now he wants color photocopies of the licenses. I'm like, man, something's up. Called all the parents, and I said, get to the church while I'm driving, get to the church, get your photocopies made, the secretary will meet you there, and then when I get there, we're going to talk about this. So I got back to the church, walked in, we got all their photocopies of the driver's license, said, listen, I need to think about this. I tell you what let's do. Let's get a notary here, and what I want you guys to do is write a letter giving me your child for two and a half weeks. You're going to write a letter as parent. I literally did this, 25-year-old. I want you to write a letter saying that we are giving Don Jackson, our child, full authority. He is his, they're his children for two and a half weeks. And then I want you to sign it and get it notarized. They're like, he didn't ask for that. I said, I'm trying to think ahead of time. So we had all the parents, can you believe it? All those parents signed over their kids to me. I became their mom and daddies for two and a half weeks. Signed it, they had a notary, we had a notary there, did them all, and then put those in a briefcase, drove back three and a half hours to Chicago, run up 14 story, put my thing down on the counter, opened it up, and I handed him the copies of the driver's license. He looked at him and he goes, I think I'm going to want a notarized letter from their parents. I said, I got them. He goes, what? He looked at me like, what? And he gave me the visas. Corruption and unfairness. We can, we can pout about it all day. We can rant and rave and write our things on whatever and make our case clear but that's not what we're called to do we're not called to change people's minds in this world we're called to give them christ let christ change minds we've got to present the gospel thankfully after the consulate gave me those visas for those 28 kids we went into brazil and you know what we did we preached christ we preached the gospel we need to do it with clarity so this morning I don't know who's in here that might need this message, or I don't know who's in here that needs to be reminded of this message, but you need to know what the message is that we need to be clear about. Years ago, I put this together, something called Facts, Faith, and Forgiveness. It's a plan to how to witness to somebody. First, you need facts. First fact that anybody needs to know is God is holy, Revelation 15, 4. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. First fact, there is a God, and we'll all stand before him someday, and he will judge. Second fact, I am not holy, I'm a sinner. The Bible says in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm an all, you're an all. All means all, that's all, all means. We're all alls. We all have sin. I know I'm a sinner because I was born, my daddy was a sinner. He's a good sinner. And then his daddy was a sinner. And his daddy was a sinner. All the way back to Grandpa Adam, we are born with a sin problem. The Bible makes it clear. And that's the problem. Because we're going to stand before a holy God someday who's going to want to know who's paying for the sin. That brings us to fact three. Jesus is God's son. 
John 14, 6 and 7, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him. You have seen him. Jesus is God's son, and he clearly claimed to be God's son. You cannot hold to the fact that he was a really good moral teacher, and we should listen to what he taught, but he wasn't God. You cannot say that, because if he is a blazing lunatic liar, then we shouldn't trust him. And in this verse, he says, if you've seen God, you've seen me. If you've seen me, you've seen God. I'm his son, and I am the only way you can get to heaven. That's what Jesus taught. God is holy. I'm a sinner. Jesus is God's son and Jesus lived a sinless life. What good is it if he was just another man of sin like you and me? So he wasn't born of man and woman. He was born of a virgin. We believe it was a miracle and he was born without that sin problem. Joseph wasn't his daddy. If Joseph was his daddy, he was born with the same problem you were born with, but he wasn't his daddy. The heavenly father was his father. And so he was born without sin and he did not sin. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him might become the righteousness of God. Not only is he God's son, but he lived a sinless life. That's important because the next thing is, Jesus died for my sin, 1 Peter 3, 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Because he's God's son and he lived a sinless life, he became the perfect lamb of God. So when he died for our sins, it put an end to the need of the Old Testament laws. Throughout the Old Testament, they had to sacrifice animals and the bloods of the bull and the goat would cover over sin for a period of time, but they'd have to do it over and over again. Jesus came and he was the perfect sacrifice once for all. I am so thankful I'm not a priest in the Old Testament. I don't like animals. I can't imagine having to kill them all the time. Jesus came and said, no longer will you need to do that because I am a sinless, spotless, perfect lamb. And when he died for our sins, it removed our sins. Our sins for his righteousness, we get his righteousness, he gets our sins. Wow. Good news is Jesus is not a dead martyr. He is alive. And seated with God. Romans 8, 34. Who then is this who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. He's not just a martyr in some religion. God's son purposely came, lived a sinless life, and died for sins, and then was risen again. Romans 14, 9. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living those are facts everybody say facts you need to be able to share those in some way or form be able to tell people here's what i believe this is what i believe it's about jesus i won't go into the other two facts faith facts won't save you there has to be faith but by faith you're saved through grace not of yourself not of works lest any man should boast have you put your faith in these facts If you're here today and you never put your faith in these facts, you need to receive Christ today. And that's where forgiveness comes in. Facts, faith, forgiveness. There needs to be a moment where you say, God, I know I'm a sinner. Thank you for Jesus, the sinless one who died for me. Please forgive me of my sin. If you can ask forgiveness of sin, the Bible says you will be saved. Have you put your faith in the facts and received forgiveness? If not, do it today. Do it now where you sit. Say a prayer similar to the one I just gave. And be saved.
for the rest of us. This is our story. Are you able to share it with clarity? Kingdom people must communicate Christ. We've got to claim the truth. Everybody say truth. We've got to cling to trust. Everybody say trust. Paul continues on here and he's got to go through this imprisonment. Remember he was in Jerusalem. His life was threatened. Now he's over in Caesarea, but he's still under guard. And we find out that things change. Let's go back to Acts 24, verse 26. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. We're talking about Felix the corrupt here. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. Oh, they're all politicians and they all lie. They all lie. Here's Felix. And Paul is just pouring out the gospel every chance he got. And then Felix retires. And you know what? He doesn't take care of Paul at all. He's still trying to get something. He wanted Paul to pay him off. Everybody's looking for something. Oh, come on. Don't even look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. They all lie. It's all unfair. I am not a crook. Read my lips. No new taxes. I didn't have sex with that woman. Uh, uh, Let me be clear. If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. They lie. Politicians lie. And the government is unfair. Yes, I'm going to tell you, yes, it's true. And I'm just going to tell you. That is the world we live in. You can spend the rest of your life angry about that and, and kicking against the gourds and, and trying to change the world that we live in through argument. Paul is our example. He barely got out of Jerusalem with his life. And now we've got a new leader comes in, Portius Festivus. Wouldn't you know it? First it was Felix, now it's Festivus for the rest of us. Acts 25, 1 through 12. Festivus, like Felix the corrupt, Festivus is the wavering. Three days after arriving in the providence, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem with the chief priests and the Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented their charges against Paul. They requested Festus as the favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem for they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. Well, you'd think two years they'd calm down, wouldn't you? But his religious people are still trying to kill Paul. And now they got a new leader and they're saying, just bring him to us. And then they're going to kill him. Festivus hears all this and he said, Paul is being held in Caesarea and I myself am going that way. Festus answered, Paul, uh, soon some of the leaders will come to me and and if the man has done anything wrong, they can press charges against him there. Verse 6, after spending eight or ten days with them, Festus went down to Caesarea. The next day he convened the court, ordered that Paul be brought before him. When Paul came in, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him. They brought many serious charges, but they could not prove them. Then Paul made this defense. I've done nothing wrong against the Jewish law or against the temple or against Caesar. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem, stand trial before me on these charges? Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I've done nothing wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I'm guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not, deserve to, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. And at the the saying of those words, Festus conferred and declared, you've appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you go. 
Paul could have cried and complained all day long that this is unfair. Two more years, and he's just presenting Jesus every chance he got. And now he knows, he knew why he left Jerusalem, those guys were going to kill him. He, he knew that the plot was there, so he knew that going back to Jerusalem was nothing but a death warrant. And so he says, fine, listen, I'm a Roman citizen, I appeal to Caesar, and they're going to have to send him to Caesar now. Cling to trust. I think this is courageous. I think Paul had to have the courage that he wanted to share the gospel, and that was foremost in his mind, and he was not going to be changed by these people. Listen, uh, kingdom people, we need to be reminded over and over again, kingdom people must remain kingdom people. Even though we live in a world where it's unfair and people do wrong and truth is trampled on, we must remain kingdom people. We never get the right to stoop to their level. You never do. I know you get frustrated and angry and you just want to fight back. And you say, well, that's the way they are. Let's give it back to them. They hit me, I'm going to hit them back harder. I understand that's the way of the world. It's not the way of Christ. So Paul stayed true to the message of truth and he clung to trust. God had told him in our last week's message, God had told him, you're going to preach the gospel in Rome. So Paul knew, I'm not going back to Jerusalem. They're going to kill me there. I need to get to Rome. I appealed to Caesar. To Caesar, you must go. Felix, the corrupt. Festus, the wavering. Paul, stuck in the middle. I can't encourage you guys enough, as people of the kingdom, to not act like the kingdom of this world. I heard something last week that just stuck me. We must not imitate and escalate what we repudiate. Mitch McConnell said that on the U.S. Senate floor June, on January 6th. We must not imitate and escalate what we repudiate. Friends, as kingdom people, we can never imitate the world. If you do that, you're not acting like kingdom people. And we cannot escalate. That's raise up the temperature. No, we don't get to do that. We, we have to always do what's right. So we don't imitate, we don't escalate what we repudiate. Repudiation means I refuse that it's wrong, it's not right. Last week I gave you this six promises. I'm not going to go through every one of them, but I, I, I do want to let you know that I believe these are still true. I was going to delete this file to do this week's, and I thought I'm going to leave it there. When I talk about trust, these are promises you can count on. I imagine Paul was clinging to these things. I imagine Paul was saying, God will never leave me. I imagine Paul was saying, God will protect me. And God will give me strength for every battle as he's under guard and authority. And God will give me the strength, the grace necessary to endure suffering. And God has forgiven me no matter what I've done against him. Can you imagine Paul feeling the guilt of his past? He used to torture people of the way, even have them killed. And he accepted forgiveness of sin and now he's a new person. And number six, God will never stop loving you. Paul had to rely on these things. I preached this last week, and then I checked on Monday. They were still true. I checked midweek. They were still true. As of last night at about 10 o'clock, they're still true. These are God's promises for you. Third thing today, we must contend for transformation. Oh, I got to claim the truth, cling to trust, but I also must contend for transformation yeah that contend word is fight you, you want to fight christian kingdom person do you want to fight well i tell you what you need to be fighting for souls of men that's what we contend for 
We contend for transformation. If you want to go to war, go to war against the tragedy that awaits people when they meet a holy God. Go to war against that. That's a worthy fight. Contend for transformation. Acts 26. Now Paul goes before Agrippa. So you've got Felix, the corrupt, he retired. Handed over to Festus, the the wavering. And then he finally gets the king involved. So the king of the Jews comes, Agrippa, and he's going to sit in judgment. And I don't have time today to read that whole thing. I challenge you as a believer to read all of uh, Acts 23 through 28. Because in Paul's beautiful speech, when King Agrippa is there, he says his whole story. He gives him his whole testimony. He says, King, and by the way, the King Agrippa was a Jewish person, so he knew about the Messiah and the promise. He knew all this. And he knew that Jesus had died. He knew that he, he had to have heard about that. He had to be around when that took place. And so King Agrippa is sitting there hearing this person who used to persecute believers now talk about that Jesus is the Messiah. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he's given his own story that he used to torture them and torment them, but he's changed now. And now he goes around and preaches the gospel. So in Acts 26, we pick it up in verse 24. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. Verse 25, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. People might think you're crazy. Eyeballs here. People might think you're crazy. If you're a kingdom person that wants to talk about Christ, they might think they're nuts. This Festus is listening to Paul, and he said, you've got some great learning. It's obvious you're very learned, and it's driven you insane. You're a nutty professor. And Paul's like, I'm not insane. What I tell you today is the truth. And then he stops talking to Festus, and he talks to the king, and he says... The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice, because it was not done in a corner. He's talking about Jesus dying on a cross. King Agrippa had to see that happen and hear the rumors and wonder what what had happened with this Jesus who died. There's stories about him being raised from the dead. So now Paul's, they're giving this testimony. King Agrippa says, or he says to King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. I just, I love that Paul's preaching the gospel and giving an invitation. He's contending for souls. He's contending for transformation. And I love what King Agrippa, King Agrippa knew what Paul was up to in verse 28. Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? The king knew he was evangelizing. The king's sitting there going, this guy should be defending himself and all he wants is for me to get saved. Doesn't that tell you about Paul's mission and his heart and what he wanted to fight for? He was actually there fighting for the king's soul. He was actually there fighting for the, the governor's soul. He was actually there and he looks and he tells everybody in the audience as much. Paul replied, Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today will become what I am, except for these chains. I love what Paul said. Paul says, I hope all of you become believers. I hope you're all just like me someday, except for these chains. I love Paul, and I love how Paul wasn't changed by the unfairness around him. The stuff that he couldn't control, there was stuff out of Paul's control. He didn't worry about all that. He kept preaching Christ. 
the king rose, verse 30, and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them. After they left the room, they began saying to one another, this man has not done anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not have been appealed to Caesar. Even in their foolishness, they even, they even they know, this is weird that it's gone this far. Well, what they don't know is what Paul knows. He's got to go to Rome. He's got to go preach in Rome. He appealed to Caesar. They're going to put him on a ship, and that's where we go next week. That's like a cliffhanger. Come back next week, and you're going to be amazed. This story gets better. It goes deeper. It gets wilder as Paul gets out under the water with a bunch of lost people on the boat. And then there's a shipwreck. And we'll talk about what happens in the long time coming to Rome, the story of Paul. I love this story. I hope you can look at Paul and see what he was doing here was focusing on Jesus and the message of the cross. That should be our heart. That should be our goal. You know what the tragedy is? I wrote this down as I was writing this message. You look in this thing about Agrippa, and you think, man, he was almost, he was almost saved. He, he was close. Have you ever met anybody who was almost, but they hadn't sealed the deal? They hadn't stepped over that line and believed the facts, had the faith, and ask for forgiveness. He was almost saved. But I want to tell you today, for kingdom people, there's something even sadder. You know what's sadder than almost saved? It's kingdom people saying, I almost witnessed. I almost evangelized. The Bible says, how will they, how will they hear unless someone speaks it to them? How will they know? God limited himself in a weird way to our ability to complete the task we are his hands and feet on this earth now and we have an opportunity to speak the truth friends you know what i'm praying for in our culture today because our crazy world's upside down it's nuts you know i want to tell you that the kingdom people have really gotten a black eye there's people in this world that see in the chaos and they really think that, oh, that's all evangelicals. I've had people that say, I'm walking away from evangelicalism because I don't want to be a part of that. And I'm like, no, no, that's not all of us. <laughs> don't, don't look at craziness and think it's all of us, please. But you know what? I'm praying that God's going to turn this around and give us the greatest. I know it's been the greatest chaos, but I think there might be a greater opportunity coming. I'm thinking there's a time that people are going to want to know what is real Christianity, what is this thing of faith? Why are these people in churches? Do all of them believe that way? No. I'm thinking there might be a time when someone comes to you and say, why are you a Christian? And you can tell them the truth. It's a great opportunity. Great opportunities come from great chaos. So we might, we, we might as well be ready. We've got to be prepared. Clarity. Courage. Conviction and class. I love through this whole thing that Paul has never did denigrated himself to start. I mean, he didn't look at King Agrippa. He could have looked at King Agrippa and said, your mother smells of elderberries. He could have started insulting and throwing mean things out. He could have been ugly. He could have said, well, you're going to do this to me. I'll tell you what. No. Jesus and him crucified, raised again, new life in Christ. That's the message. That's the message. May we know it. May we show it. May we speak it. May it be our number one thought, day and night. Even when the world's unfair, our calling is clear. 
communicate Christ with clarity, courage, conviction, and class. I'd ask the band to come up. We're going to sing that Raise a Hallelujah song. By again, the best thing we can do is continue to praise Christ. When things are unfair, praise Christ. Keep bringing it back to who he really is. People are eventually going to want to know who he really is. What does it really mean to be a follower in the way? And so let's keep bringing it back to Jesus. Can I pray for you? Father God, my prayer right now is that we would be people, kingdom people, and keep our thoughts and mission clear that we would present Christ every opportunity. And Father, we do pray that people around us would start asking what the truth is. People around us would say, why do you still believe? Why do you, why do you go to church? And then we can give a clear answer about facts, faith, and forgiveness. God, help us to be prepared to share our story. It's what you did in our lives, and it's, it's, it's true to us. And so, Father, I pray we just bear witness to what you've done for us and a blessed hope that we have awaiting in the future. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.